When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 113 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. It's amazing. I just thought of that as I said it, as I started here, James. 13 podcasts. From 13 episodes from when we sat in Reds and Karlstadt talking to Jonathan Casillas, the Giants have a new coach or an interim coach. They have a new GM, an interim GM. They are 2-10. and 10. Eli Manning was benched, and now he's the starter again. Things move fast, and obviously this week the big story, as we know, and we'll get into all the tentacles of it, the Giants cleaned house after what was a tumultuous week last week. Yeah, it's kind of hard to imagine that everything that has happened in the past couple of days has actually gone down this way. It's also really weird. And we're taping this on Wednesday morning before uh, the Giants have practiced. Uh, We're kind of going to cover like a a new team. I mean, Dan and I, we've been in a bunch of Steve Spagnuolo press conferences, but we've never covered him as as a head coach. And uh, it's going to be really weird that we're going there on Wednesday to start, you know, this Cowboys week. And, you know, Ben McAdoo's not going to be there. And it's just uh, – it feels like we've been going 1,000 miles an hour since, I don't know, maybe like 6 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday. So, yeah, it's just uh, – it's been a, a historic turn of events for the Giants. Uh, I think a lot of things have happened. I think that at the end of the day, uh, the Giants don't look very good coming out of all of this. I'm sure we'll get into that. But at least they're they're kind of moving forward to their new era. I just think still – so many unanswered questions, and it's still just a really awkward situation where there's just so many variables in play that it's hard to really kind of nail anything down and say this is where they're going. Yeah, and now Matt, you know, you have McAdoo out, you have Reese out. The Giants will start their search for a new coach, a new GM. Before we get there, and we'll we'll touch on where this search might lead them and some initial thoughts because they're ahead of the game here, at least on that. They, they don't have to wait until the end of the season like a lot of other teams will. So they have that going for them. But, Dan, let's just go back to the other day. The Giants relieved McAdoo and Reese of their duties. I think it was most fans were pretty excited about both these, especially McAdoo. But then John Maris spoke, and he spoke a couple times, one with you guys, and then I heard him on, the, on WFAN. And, you know, it felt like John had to – try to explain what happened over the last week. And it it just seemed like the explanation he gave for doing what he did when he did it didn't really compute considering, you know, a couple weeks ago he said, yeah, no, we're not doing anything in the middle of the season. And then, well, they did. Yeah, exactly. I'll just say kind of up front, too. I mean, if, if fans are tuning in for like a, a cathartic session of bashing uh, Reese and McAdoo, I, I know I don't plan to do it. I don't think you guys do either because, I mean, they're they're gone. They're done. They've we've given them plenty of flack for you know 13 weeks, whatever it has been. 
Um, but I, you know, I think it's it's now about what happens going forward, and then that's where Mara comes in because again, there's really not much there's not much left to say about the Ben McAdoo era or the Jerry Reese era that hasn't already been said. So I think we'll just kind of you know let them go in, in peace. And, and again, if you if you want to relive any of that, there's plenty of podcasts we've done in the last couple of weeks that would get your fill there. Um, but again, I think the, the thing that's important now is, is what happens going forward. And, and to me, John Mayer just didn't get started on the right foot because it, I mean, listen, I know maybe, you know, some people are saying, well, he didn't want to kind of like kick McAdoo while he was down he was on his way out the door. That's fine. But it was just so disingenuous for him to act like the whole mishandling of the Eli situation. Isn't the reason why Ben McAdoo got fired on Monday. You just, you cannot convince me otherwise they were, a terrible team. They had just gotten blown out by the 49ers when you put out a statement three weeks ago saying they're not getting fired. Just kind of stop asking what McAdoo's status. He's going to be here till the end of the season. And then we're going to revisit things as we always do. Three weeks later, you fire him based on what? I mean, they had, they had a spirited win against the Chiefs in the interim. If anything, that, that should have given him more security. I mean, I'm not saying like long term, but they didn't do anything remarkable in those three weeks that made this untenable other than the Eli situation, which, I mean, again, it's just so blatantly obvious that that's what led to this. And the problem I have with that is Mara being so wishy-washy on it. Was he on board? Did he know the full plan? Did he want this other plan? I mean, he he said it on last week and he said it on Monday that he kind of owns a mistake. Blame him. OK, then why did you fire your coach and your GM? It's, it's all kind of just kowtowing to, you know, public perception. He noted that they have three out of their final four games at home. He knows it would have been a disaster to have Ben McAdoo on the sideline and Geno Smith starting at the Cowboys. I mean, there were there's talks about planes would have been flying over the stadium and players have been lined up in Eli jerseys on the Former players would have been lined up in Eli jerseys. The, the reaction would have been horrible. But just admit that's why you made the decision now, because, <laughs> again, nothing's changed. They're two and ten. Nothing's you you know, Steve Spagnuolo wasn't going to get this team on a magical run to six and ten. That doesn't. That's not going to change anything. So just have be upfront and forthright and say, listen, we screwed up so bad with this Eli thing, worse than we ever could imagine, and that's why we had to make the change now. Not just this kind of uh, meandering. Oh well, we didn't want to prolong it. I mean, the misery had been going on long enough. You made this move on Monday because of the Eli situation. So it just it really rubbed me the wrong way that he couldn't just concede what was blatantly obvious to everybody. Yeah, it was. And I think it, everyone saw through what he was saying there, James. It, it just felt like you listen to Mario talk the way Dan just described what he was saying. It was like, well, then why is this happening now? You know, if, if the Eli thing didn't happen last week and it didn't become a public relations nightmare, a fan, I mean, on Sunday, when those reports were coming out, as you guys were out in Oakland, that 25 former Giants were going to show up to MetLife Stadium this coming Sunday for the Cowboy game, all wearing Eli Manning jerseys. My first thought was, this is going to just be, a, I mean, it's a circus already, but it's going to be a downright embarrassment for them. Now, at least they've they've taken that aspect away. But it does come off as the Giants are, you know, we called them rudderless last week. It just feels like they're making this up as they go along. There's just, there's no conviction in what they really want for this franchise right now. No, I agree. And I think that, John Mara, I mean, it just every he just contradicts himself over and over again, and I, I get that he's the owner, and he, you know, obviously he's not going anywhere. But I mean, at some point, it's just you know, here's the thing. I will say this about Ben McAdoo: he's a good guy, he's a good football coach. He got stuck in an avalanche, a lot of it of his own doing. But it's for John Mara to say that I didn't like the plan, but I signed off on the plan. Okay, 
And then I asked John Mayer at the press conference, said, well, when the plan got botched, did you consider firing Ben on Wednesday morning? Because ultimately, that's what he should have done. John Mayer should have come in Wednesday morning if he was going to react like this to the outcry. He should have come in Wednesday morning, fired Ben, fired Jerry, made Spags the head coach, said Eli's starting. That's it. He didn't do that. But then on, you know, John says, OK, well, we talked on Sunday with Steve Tisch and we talked on Monday morning. Well, all right. It's like I have the email now, 9.22 a.m. Eastern time, so 6.22 a.m. Pacific time is when I became aware that the ESPN report was out. Obviously, those guys didn't cook it up on Sunday morning. So my point is, how can you – you clearly decided to fire Ben regardless of the wins and loss in Oakland before Sunday. And I, I, I just struggle to see after you, know, you basically signed off on a plan that you liked but you didn't like. You were on the same page but you weren't on the same page. And here's the deal. I mean, look, say what you will. McAdoo took the team to Oakland. They got punched in the face by Marshawn Lynch early on. They were competitive the whole way, and they, and they lost by a touchdown. So Dan's right. To fire him after this game, when you didn't fire him, when his team disgraced the franchise for two straight weeks against the Rams and the 49ers, when you didn't fire him, when they had – no first downs or whatever the heck it was against the Redskins on Thanksgiving in the second half. I mean, it just doesn't really add up. I just think that basically he counts out the public pressure. Uh, I get the idea that, look, these guys are going and, you know, might as well get over now. I was a little surprised they fired Jerry Reese, but obviously, look, I think Ben just got caught in avalanche. Jerry Reese is a little bit more kind of, you know, commonplace. Uh, he had a really good run with the Giants, won two Super Bowls. Uh, and those Super Bowls probably bought him a couple of years of grace that he, he shouldn't have got. Uh, he just wasn't good enough in the second half of his tenure. The drafts are bad. The team is bad. You really can't argue that. He's just kind of a run-of-the-mill, his time to go. I mean, only the great ones don't get fired, and even the great ones usually get fired. But And, and I think another thing we'll talk to, this whole idea of, oh, we got a head start on the competition. I mean, you do, but you don't because there's, what, a handful of GMs you can interview between now and, and the end of the season? So come on. Let me just have one one thought, Joe, um, just to kind of kind of conclude my thoughts on the whole thing. The fact that I think it was on Francesa, Mar he was asked if, if you know they had won on Sunday, would you have still done this? And he said, yeah, you know, most likely he didn't say yes, but definitively, but he you know he indicated yes. So again, it, it's just it's so it's so crazy. So this team could have gone out behind Geno Smith, you know, won a game on the road. And you still would have fired the coach the next day. I mean, it, it, there's no logic other than it's because of the public outcry and the way it was handled. And again, it goes back to Mara to me. Because listen, McAdoo can cook up whatever scheme he wants. You know you're firing the guy at the end of the year. You signed off on it. And then the whole thing where he thought Eli would go along with it. And then he hoped to sit down with Eli. I mean, you got to grab this thing a little harder than that, John. You can't just sit back and see how everything turns out. And, and then by the time he finally sits down with Eli, it, everything had exploded. It was already put to rest. I mean, it was it was insane. I mean, I know he had, he had some family event last Monday, and he had owner's meetings in Manhattan on Tuesday. It's not like he was in you know Los Angeles. He, you have to find a way when you're the owner of the team to nip this type of thing in the bud before it spirals out of control. You can't start and do damage control, uh, especially something like this that spread like wildfire. And, and him not being prepared for the reaction – uh, is really stunning. I mean, the guy has you know grown up with the Giants. He knows how the fan base is. He knows how the the market is. For him to be caught so off guard by this, uh, that that's really a little bit uh, concerning to me because it, it just seems like what did you think the reaction was going to be, and, and why didn't you do anything um, you know to to curtail it before it got to this point? But again, that's just kind of my my final thought. The fact that he said they were getting fired 
on Monday, regardless of the outcome on Sunday, uh, you know, it's just an, another kind of uh, indictment on his whole spiel that the Eli situation didn't have anything to do with the firings and, and the timing of them. I think if you're a Giant fan, you have to really hope that this disaster has shocked John Mara back into, you know, kind of you know, clear, clear head moving forward. Because let's be honest, this team over the past few years has this role from one embarrassment to the next. I mean, they, the, you know, it's just all the off-field stuff, the on-field stuff, the record over the years. I mean, John Mara has not done a very good job leading this franchise forward in the past couple of years. And I think you really have to hope as a Giant fan that this is something that's going to kind of reset them and kind of give them a new sense of purpose going forward because they can't screw this up. I mean, I, I think there was a Yahoo column, which I think hit on the head. He became a half-measures owner. They, they, there's no more time for half measures now. They need to do something here. They need to get the Giants back on the way. Because here's the thing. John Mara is a guy who has enjoyed such a, basically approval from the fan base in the area. I mean, John Mara started the season like kind of with the Steinbrenners. I mean, he, he's kind of dipping down towards like Dolan and Wilpon territory now with his public approval and all likelihood. So the Giants fans have to hope this is the thing that's going to kind of spur the Giants to get their act together. It better. And just to go to Mara, then we'll move forward now. One last thing on Mara, and we'll move forward on the Eli decision to start him this week and just the ramifications of what just has gone on over the last week. But just to go to the timeline, you guys were talking about the decision Mara last week, allowing McAdoo to make that decision. I heard Eli in his spot with uh, Mike Francesa, I guess it was Monday. He usually does this afternoon spot with Mike. And they kind of rehashed the whole thing from last week. And I heard Eli say, and I, I hadn't heard this timeline before, at least from him, that McAdoo presented the plan to him on Monday of that week. And then mm-hmm. Eli went home and slept on it, went back in on Tuesday and told McAdoo, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. And then it, the whole thing broke on Tuesday afternoon. So, like, McAdoo presented it to him Monday. It was basically a full day later before the whole thing, you know, everything hit the wall. How is Merritt not intercepted <laughs> by then? Like, right. like you were just saying, Dan, I know he was at the meetings and whatnot, but like, that's a lot of time to at least place a phone call to your franchise quarterback and at least talk it over. That's insane. Right. And, and he, yeah, I'm trying to remember Maris said, you know, when he spoke to the media last Wednesday, he was aware of the situation. Like he had been in contact with Jerry Reese. It just, there's a lot of communication issues in that organization. I think they like to keep things separate. But I think there are times and situations, and this would be, you know, top of the list, where you need to all come together because they kept saying they're on the same page and they're not being on the same page. But the fact they're playing a game of telephone, McAdoo tells Eli, Eli responds to McAdoo, McAdoo runs it up to Jerry, Jerry runs it up to Mar. I mean, there needed to be a conference call or something. Let's just get everyone on the same page because, again, when Eli walked out of that meeting on Monday and said, let me sleep on it, that had to have at least raised a red flag that he, he didn't just jump at it and say, yes, this is a great idea. You had to have had a little bit of a red flag there that, hey, he might not go along with this. So let's make sure we huddle together and, and make sure we want to go through with this. The fact that they were so shocked, like you said, 24 hours later. I mean, again, if, if Monday he stormed out and said, I'm not doing this, then I could say, oh, wow, that was surprising. He gave them plenty of t- you know notice and warning that this might not work out for Eli. And the fact that they weren't able to kind of you know circle together and come up with a better plan or present a different plan or make sure they were on the same page, chapter and verse. Again, it just it speaks to the dysfunction that's really you know gotten this franchise in this position. It's strange. It really is. And now we look forward to this Sunday and. You know, this, I guess, was confirmed yesterday. We're doing this podcast on a Wednesday morning, but it it pretty much was – everyone kind of realized this is where they were going with this on Monday when the firings came down. Eli Manning James is now back 
as the Giants starting quarterback, which on one hand, like last week when it happened, I was like, all right, well, this doesn't make any sense because what are you really going to learn about these quarterbacks, especially Geno? Just let Eli start. But now that they did it and they benched him and they haven't played Davis Webb yet, like what are we doing now? Like what are the Giants doing putting Eli Manning back in? Is this just for the fans in the stadium? Can they put Davis Webb in later in the season? Like what do you make of Eli back as the starter other than a public relations cry? Like we're sorry, Eli. We're just we're sorry about this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, look, we have to obviously, you know, I guess Steve Spagnuolo is going to officially make it official. It's expected at his press conference on Wednesday. But I, I think it depends on – I'm intrigued to see what he says about it because, you know, we John Mayer went from I want to see the young quarterbacks to, well, now Eli is starting on Sunday. And, I mean, I don't think the Giants come out and say, yeah, he's just going to start this game and it's a PR thing. Because, I mean, that would just be like – that would prove that John just completely didn't say what the truth was uh, when he said that the, ma- the decision had benching had nothing to do with this. But I, I really am intrigued. I mean, are you going to – are you going to eventually – are you going to start letting Davis Webb like take a rep or two in practice? Are you going to make him the backup quarterback? I mean, just because if the Giants have talked to Eli and said, look, you're going to start the next two home games – and we're going to give Davis a start at some point, and maybe they've agreed upon this, and that's going to come out later on. It makes a little bit of sense, but I think there's there's a lot of conflicting, you know, interests at play here. If you're Steve Spagnuolo, Spags probably thinks if I can go three and one or four and zero, I'm going to get the job. So he probably wants Eli to be his starting quarterback because he thinks that's the best chance I have to win. John Mayer probably figures. I'm going to have a riot on my hands on Sunday if I don't start Eli Manning. So, you know, we need to start him. And I think that, you know, how's Geno Smith going to react to this? You know, I mean, we had a heck of it. We had the full Geno experience last week. I mean, <laughs> ripping Rex Ryan. You know, I mean, oh, it's like, what, what's he going to do? I mean, and all thing I come up to Webb is that, OK, why? I understand that he's probably not ready, but there's my there's, I have two thoughts on this. One, why didn't they at least? Tell Ben, hey, we, we got to start getting him reps. I mean, I, I don't get that. And two, he's not ready, but I mean, is there, it feels like they're just waiting for this like perfect moment to put Davis Webb in an NFL game, and it's probably not going to come. So maybe maybe ownership actually has to say, he's starting Sunday. Get him ready, Spags. I mean, you know, so and, and I still come back to if Eli's going to start setting against the Cowboys, I think that you cannot have Davis Webb take his first career start against the Eagles at home. I mean, that has got disaster written all over it. So now you basically cut the, the opportunities the kid's going to get to play in half. So now you're waiting until Christmas Eve. I just think if there's a plan to put Davis Webb on the field in a substantial manner in the next week, couple of weeks, then I think it's okay to go back to Eli as a starter because I think that's what we all kind of advocated in the beginning. Just let Webb play when the game's out of hand. And I think maybe if you tell – I think Eli might be more amenable to the idea of I'm going to start and get yanked at halftime in week 16 and week 17 because we got to get the kids some action. I think he might be more accepting of that than he was you know, when the plan was to him in Oakland and now that we've been through all this. But if they're just going back to Eli at full stop and they plan on him playing every snap the rest of the way, uh, it makes absolutely no sense. No, it doesn't, Dan. And, and look, if – if C. Spagnuolo really is trying to coach to get into this coaching search and Mary acknowledged he's going to get 
be part of the process if he wants to be. But he's probably going to want to play Eli the rest of the way because, like James was just saying, he probably gives him the best chance to win right now. This this whole Eli thing back and forth, it doesn't make sense considering what they did la- already last week. It's done now. Right, right. The horse is out of the barn. I mean, you can't you can't put it back in. Uh, and and that's that's another reason why. Again, listen, I understand why they fired these guys, and I, I didn't like that Maradon admit it. But this is a this is a side effect now of firing them. You've you've gone so far back on your plan. You put a guy in here in Spags who you know obviously genuinely thinks he has a shot to get the full time job. So he has less incentive than even Macuter did to play the young guys. So of course you're going to Eli starting because again Spags isn't going to just kick away the end of the season. Like I said, if he goes you know three and one, four and zero, oh, these guys are playing for him in the big picture. It doesn't shouldn't mean anything, but to him it will. I mean he's not going to just. This is his first chance to you know get back and, and be the head guy after the disastrous tenure with the Rams. He's going to want to make the most of it. So again, you've you've kind of you know cut your legs out again on this 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 QB plan. With the thing that's amazing to me is they botched it on both ends. <laughs> they botched it last week by the way they sat Eli, and now in my opinion they're botching it this week by going back to Eli. And because I will say this, I'll temper it with this. We'll see what they do the final three games because again I, there was no way they were not going to start Eli, especially once they made the coaching change. There was just no way Spags' first home game. Uh, you know, was going to come with Geno Smith as the quarterback. I mean, that would have done very little to to calm the fan revolt. So I understand you got to play Eli this week. I don't love it. Geno Smith, I mean, Davis Webb better be the number two quarterback. I'm not sure that's going to be the case, but he better be. And then you know, James made a good point. The Eagles game, that's a tough spot to put Webb in there first start. So even if you want to make Eli the starter in that game, let's be honest, it might be a blowout and Davis Webb, you know, will get some reps and then just start in the last two games. There, there's nothing to be gained by starting Eli Manning in these meaningless games. Once you've already broken his streak and already gone through what you went through last week, if you were going to just play him all 16 games, no, you know, come hell or high water, that would be one thing. But you've already taken the difficult step of putting him on the bench. So now you might as well give you know, web a shot and we need to stop treating it like disabling a bomb. I mean, he's, he's a quarterback. We're asking him to play. I understand everyone's, you know, a little scared because of what happened to Peterman in Buffalo, but Davis Webb, like he's not going to combust if he, if he plays poorly in, in a game that means nothing at the end of a season. And I understand the notion that how much are you really going to learn about him because, you know, he's playing behind a bad offensive line with limited weapons. I understand all that, but let's just find out. I mean, we know what you have in Eli. So there's nothing, literally nothing to gain by playing Eli in these last couple of games. If anything, there's a risk that maybe he does get hurt, and that, that com- compounds your, your decision-making even more in the offseason, where it's just if Davis Webb goes out there and stinks up the joint, no one's going to say, oh, he can never play. They'll understand the circumstances. He'll still be back next year. And if he plays well, it's not going to make you not take a quarterback in the top three if that's what you choose to do. But at least it just give you something. I mean, you got to start building some sort of, you know, evidence of what a guy can and can't do. So you, you'd obviously grade it on a curve. But I, there's just no reason not to do it. And again, it just goes back to the thing that this franchise, you can't crowdsource your biggest decisions. Well, we're going to fire the coach because the fans are unhappy about this. We're going to start Eli because the fans are unhappy about that. You said, John Maris said, he wanted to see the young quarterbacks get a shot. And now all of a sudden, that's out the window? I mean, no, you had the right idea. You went about it in the complete wrong way, but you had the right idea. So, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, again, I'm criticizing it now, but I I am willing to give them the chance to see how they handle it going forward because, again, I understand Eli has to start this week. But if they just ride it out with him, and even if Davis Webb is just the number two and maybe getting garbage time reps, that's not enough. And John Mara said that. you got to see him more than just mop-up duty. So if Davis Webb does not get – legitimate reps and I think starts in these the last three games 
then it's it's a, they've made a disaster even worse, which is you know hard to do. But this team keeps finding ways to do it this season. James, over under, how many starts for Davis Webb down the stretch this season? I'll set the over under as one and a half games. Over or under? Uh, I'm gonna go under just because I don't. He's obviously not starting this Sunday. Right. I don't think you can start him against the Eagles. Maybe. Christmas Eve against the Cardinals is a good landing spot. But then again, then we're going to come back to week 17. And it's I'm telling you, it's going to be the whole, you know, Eli deserves a swan song in week 17. He's not going to start a game. My guess is he's not going to start a game. It, it probably will be. And, and the Giants have completely botched this. But you know what? Guess what? What do, what do you expect from this team? I mean, they just it, – it's so funny because, you know, I remember a couple weeks back – Mike Francesa was saying, you know, at my time, I my, you know, was saying the Giants never handle bad optics well. And I kind of disagreed with him. You know, they always overreact to bad optics. And I was kind of disagreeing with him because I think I said this on a podcast. I mean, they had way, way in a much more different and serious situation with Josh Bowden last year. They had horrific optics and they did nothing about it. But you know what? Mike was right. I mean, they have completely overreacted in a historic manner to all of this, you know, it's just, it's a mess. And I think that Dan's right. Give him, it, I can't really give the giants the benefit of the doubt anymore because they have screwed everything possible up this year. But if they do find a path to get Webb on the field after we have this, you know, fan day, you know, banner day at giant stadium, basically, then maybe this is not the worst thing in the world. But if, if they're just going to play Eli and, you know, and here's the thing about Spags. I, I wrote this on NJ.com on Wednesday morning. If, let's say Spags doesn't get the job here and, and the Giants don't particularly impress, they're the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL right now. Is Spags even going to get another coordinator job in the NFL? I don't know. Not, maybe not right away. I mean, this might be head coach or bust for him, <laughs> which is why he has all the reason in the world to play Eli Manning. He does, and that's why I think he's going to play the rest of the year. And and uh, it's an amazing scenario they've concocted here. There's there's a new you know interim coach, interim GM. Eli's back, four games to go. And we did talk a little bit, Dan, about how the one thing is that they've jump-started this conversation about who's next. Let's just touch on that a little bit here um, to wrap up this week's episode in terms of initial th- – thoughts on the search there's a long way they're not going to name anybody obviously until the season ends for everybody else who knows if it's mid-january late january with a gm then a coach but just your initial thoughts well let's start with this before we get into mm-hmm. some names do you think this is a good job yeah i think it's a fantastic job i think it, as much as we've dumped on the franchise for the first 30 minutes of this podcast <laughs> i think it absolutely is i mean think about it you don't jobs don't come open Unless something's wrong. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, unless Bill Belichick rides off into the sunset someday, you know, the the, the best jobs don't just open up. So there's always going to be some flaws. But just think about the type of jobs that usually open. I mean, the Giants, as bad as they've been this season, they aren't the Cleveland Browns. They aren't, you know, they aren't in that category. And again, as much as dysfunction they've had, their ownership in general is a strong point because they're usually extraordinarily loyal. I mean, this is the first time they've basically ever fired a general manager. So... Uh, and the McAdoo situation, I think, will be looked at as definitely an outlier. And again, because they've been pretty loyal with coaches too, so I don't, I don't think that the way this ended, I don't think, will hurt the reputation of uh, you know the franchise as far as you know perspective, uh, coaches and GMs. But just look at what they have. I mean, you have, I mean, I listen. I know Odell comes with some baggage, but you have arguably 
you know, top three playmaker in the NFL on your roster. You're going to have a top three draft pick. So if you want to get a franchise quarterback, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. Again, as much as the defense has gone underachieved, you're not going to find too many rosters you'd walk into with a Landon Collins, a Damon Harrison, an Olivier Vernon, you know, JPP again, say what you want about him, Janoris Jenkins, on and on. I mean, there's, there's plenty of pieces. I mean, granted, there's stuff that needs to be fixed. The offensive line, you know, we all know about that, but you know, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. I mean, there is a lot of talent here. I would have said a couple of weeks ago, you also have a situation where you don't need a quarterback for next season. You can, <laughs> I don't know how much that has changed and maybe it's changed back now. I mean, I still think Eli might, you know, this might be it for him with the giants, but uh, you know, that's changed a bit now that they finally at least have just gotten rid of McAdoo and Reese and, and that whole thing. But it, you just look at all those factors. It, it's a, it's a pretty good situation to walk into from a football standpoint. You have, you know, generally you have stability and ownership it's you know the number one market in the world. I mean that comes with obviously pros and cons. But listen, if you're if you're confident in yourself and you want to be at the top of the you know, top of your profession, there's no better place to come to do it than New York. Because if you win here, you know you're going to be a legend forever. Um, so yeah, I think it's a fantastic job. I mean, I, I again, I just think for those factors I outlined, um, you know, the, the the kind of hiccup that this season has been, and I know people say, well. Uh, you know, it hasn't been good the last, you know, six or seven years. Well, I mean, they still have two Super Bowls, you know, in the past decade. So it's it's clearly a place where, you know, you can win and they have they've won not too long ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything um, that I just said, I think that I think coaches would be lining up uh, to get here. And I can't see why they wouldn't. Yeah, look, it's been historically a great job. And the Giants usually, James, have coaches wanting to flock. I agree with that. I think people will still want this job despite the dysfunction that's formed here. Who's who's kind of standing out to you when you just think of like a, a general list? I know you guys have written on this possible candidates' names. Let's start with the let's start with the GM first, because I guess that's where the Giants will go, and then we'll throw some names out there for the coaching search. When James, when you think of GM candidates, who's kind of on the top of your mind right now? I, I think you have to, like Dave Gettleman is the obvious name you're going to yep. come up with, and he's a guy who the Giants could like could interview and hire now. You know, just because he's not with a team. Uh, John Dorsey, the, the former general manager of the Chiefs, is another guy. I think Lewis Riddick from, from ESPN, who has experience with the Eagles and the Redskins. But you know that, that's one of the things that I, I kind of – you know John Mayer really didn't get into. But, I mean, you've got four weeks left in the season. I mean, you could interview you know those three guys. Maybe there's someone else out there that's just not coming to mind that isn't with a team. But I just think it would be a major mistake to kind of hire one of those guys – Without at least talking to, you know, the Elliot Wolfs, the, the Nick Casarios, the Eric DaCostas, the those guys. I think I think Abrams is also a serious candidate, and I think they'll probably interview Mark Ross, the, the draft boss, as well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, John, he kind of contra- he said in the beginning of the press conference, we need to make wholesale changes. But then when he, when he basically was asked, you know, do you anticipate this kind of cleaning house in the front office? He's like, well, I don't know if we need to make wholesale changes. So it seems like he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And obviously, I think that if Ernie, of course, he's going to basically lead the search and tell John Marin C. Tissue to hire, then there's a very good chance that the Giants might keep a lot of the front office intact. And it's just going to be like in 2016, where Tom left and the coaching staff kind of stayed place put for the most part. And for head coach, I mean, it's all over the place. I think everyone's talking about Josh McDaniels, but I just – I have this nagging feeling that McDaniels is not like the slam dunk candidate that everyone seems to think he is just because 
I know he didn't take any interviews in 2016 when they had the search that ended with McAdoo, but there wasn't even a whisper or a report that the Giants had called him and he had said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I just think something tell you know, I just don't know if he necessarily is a definite. I'm sure the Giants will interview him. You have to interview him. He's the hot candidate, but is are they going to want to hire him? Is he going to want to leave New England? Uh, I think John D. Filippo, the quarterback's coach with the Eagles, is really fascinating because the guy was an assistant. Under Tom Coughlin, uh, quality control coach, I think, for two years. Uh, he coached at Fordham. He coached at Columbia. His dad was the athletic director at Boston College. He coached at Notre Dame. I mean, there's a lot of avenues for the Maris and the Tishes to be familiar with him. He's done a tremendous job with Carson Wentz. If you're bringing a young quarterback in, and here's the thing. The Eagles can't block him interviewing for a head coaching job like they did when he tried to interview with the Jets for the offensive coordinator job last year. So I think he's an under-the-radar name that could be a really serious candidate. I know Giants fans are going to be very apprehensive to bring in a guy with a young guy with no head coaching experience because of what just happened with McAdoo. But I feel like there's only so many retreads to go around. And at some point, all these guys are risks. And I feel like DeFilippo might be a risk worth taking. I've heard a lot of good things, James, about DeFilippo. And look, I think the Eagles are a place the Giants should look at. I mean, Joe Douglas, their assistant, uh, whatever he's called, like an assistant GM to Howie Roseman, he's good. And he's been with the Ravens, the Bears. I mean, maybe it's kind of a package deal. You bring Douglas to hunt up the front office. You bring DeFilippo or, you know, they have other coordinators that are interesting too. Dan, what's your th- what are your thoughts? I'm interested in what you have to say about McDaniels because you worked up in Boston. You probably have more of a a feeling of what people say about Josh McDaniels than maybe James or I or most Giants fans listening to this show, dude. What do you think about McDaniels getting a second chance? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard nothing but good things. Um, I think people have to keep in mind, when he got that Denver job, I think he was 33. Yeah. I mean, that's, he was young, I mean, was, yeah. We're not everyone Sean... is not everyone is Sean McVay. He's <laughs> right, good right. at 32 years old. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not saying you can throw that out. It, it didn't go well, obviously. It didn't end well. Um, but I, I don't think you can hold that against him for the rest of his life. I mean, his first year there, I think he was you know, 500 or something. It just kind of fell apart. I mean, obviously he had the Tebow pick, which I, you know, I'd, I'd be very hesitant to give him too much control of our personnel after that. Um, but yeah, and then I think he humbled himself. He went back to New England, and the thing you'll say is, uh, you, you know, obviously they just went through an offensive coordinator and, and it didn't work out so well. You watch the Patriots offense; it's a different, it's a different offense than what the Giants have been running the last couple of years. And I'm, and obviously, listen, Tom Brady's Tom Brady, but. The, the game planning, the creativity, just the way that's coaching, because listen, Tom Brady is the, you know, the best football player, maybe ever the best winner, all these types of things. He, he can't get all these no name guys who come in there and thrive in that system. That's not necessarily because of Tom Brady. That's a, the Patriots do a phenomenal job of identifying talent. So I guess we'll have another guy there, Nick Casario, which would probably be a package deal. And there was rumors that that was kind of uh, in play for the 49ers last year. And, and McDaniels, you know, pulled out of consideration for that job. But they do a phenomenal job finding talent. But again, you can't just give all the credit to Brady and Belichick for having these receivers that nobody wants and and these running backs that are kind of also rants. And then they come there and absolutely thrive in that system. Again, it's definitely a lot of it has to do with Brady. But, you know, McDaniels uh, has done a heck of a job there. And I think the biggest thing is I think he definitely, like I said, was humbled by that experience. I think he'll he'll come back with a little bit different approach. Um, You know, I was reading an interview he did last year. Uh, he wasn't. I asked him yesterday about the Giants opening on a conference call. He wasn't very interested in discussing, which you know what you'd expect from a Bill Belichick, uh, you know, disciple. But you know, last year he talked more generally about you know head coaching and 
Uh, I think he understands how important it is to have relationships with your players and stuff. I don't think that's something he did great because he probably came in at 33 and said, I know everything. And, you know, you got, you know, hit in the face and, and realized, well, maybe I don't. And I think, um, you know, it, it, I think this time back in England served him well. I know there's the, the knock on, you know, Bill Belichick guys. They all go out and they flop. I think that's a little bit overblown. I mean, certainly there have been, you know, more have done that than not. But, you know, Bill O'Brien has done a fine job since leaving New England. Um, some of the front office guys, um, you know, who aren't big names have done a good job. I think one's in Detroit and one's in the uh, in Tennessee. Um, so, it's, you know, the, the big name guys like the Charlie Weisses who really flamed out get all the attention. Um, but, I, again, I don't think you have to make decisions on an individual basis. Now, you know, McDaniel's still a young guy. He's 40 years old. Uh, so I think it's definitely realistic to think that, you know, he can grow. And, again, when you, when you talk kind of just my perspective from Boston, you don't you, you didn't hear nothing but good things, uh, you know, just about him. Uh, I think, he, you know, you saw the thing with Brady on the sideline the other day. I mean, uh, he's not afraid to, to stand up to a player of his caliber. So maybe that bodes well for, you know, how he could handle, um, you know, Odell, who's just been treated with kid gloves, you know, for the first four years. So, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's necessarily number one on my list, but, I mean, he, he's definitely up there. And, and certainly worth exploring. And, and, you know, as James said, he, you know, he, he wasn't in the mix in 2016. You know, I don't know, you know, what all that, you know, what went into all that, but I have to think that this is a job that would be desirable uh, to him. You know, obviously Belichick has the ties to the giants. I think um, you know, he would put, you know, an endorsement um, for McDaniels to take this job. Cause again, he doesn't want to send his guys out to a, a Cleveland and have them bomb. And, and that, you know, reflects poorly on his coaching tree. But I think he, you know, he, he knows all the things we were talking about, why the giants is, is a good job. So I think he would, uh, you know, he would endorse McDaniels making that move. So uh, I could, I could see that happening, but I also, I'm stuck in the fact that I just don't feel like the, the, the giants are, are willing to go outside the family tree because if you do McDaniels, does that mean you bring in Casario and then you really are, you know, making serious wholesale changes <laughs> or do they do is back to what James said earlier, half measures. You just bring in Gettleman, a guy everyone knows been around probably going to keep, you know, most of the front office, if not all of it intact. And then you just kind of get some, you know, some retread of Mike Smith. And, and I just, I think this it's time for them to hit the reset button. They tried to do the half measures with McAdoo that failed spectacularly. I think it's time to, to think outside the box a little bit, be a little bit bold. Um, you know, what you've been doing for the last six years hasn't been working. So uh, the idea of just bringing in an old friend of Ernie Acorsi's and, and just kind of finding some retread coach, it doesn't excite me at all. So I, I think I got like McDaniels with Casario. Uh, I'd much rather see him go that direction. Uh, you know, like I said, then with kind of the, the keeping it close, you know, in the Giants family tree. I, I just, I wonder if the whole idea of, that like package deal thing doesn't appeal. I mean, I, I just, I, I was, I wrote this, I was thinking about this. I mean, John Mayer and Steve Tisch, like, are they really gonna, because they, John made it very clear him and Steve hire the head coach. And I just don't know if they're going to really be that eager. I think it'd be one thing if they, if they did a GM search and they land on Casario and they did a head coaching search and they land on McDaniels and Hey, these two guys really like to work with each other. I think that'd be one thing, but the whole idea that like these two guys are like a package deal, and it's like, well, we're hiring Casario, we basically have to hire like Casario is basically hiring McDaniel's for us, or vice versa. I just don't know if that's necessarily the giant way, and I just wonder if they would be kind of apprehensive to do that. I agree with Dan. I think that th- they need to do something different. I think the most likely scenario might be they bring in a guy like Gettleman, but then they go out and they go get a coach that's maybe has giant ties to an extent. I mean, I don't hold, I don't consider John D. Filippo, you know, an old, like the same old thing, 
You know, I think if they made Spags the permanent head coach, you could, you, that would be like that. That would be like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, we're just really and and then what? In two years, when this goes bad, like Sully's gonna become the head coach. Next. <laughs> so I mean, Tom Quinn's Tom, you know, Tom up Quinn's order. times up next. So I mean, I feel like that. Like Gettleman, look, he's sixty six years old, and I think that you know maybe the Giants feel you know. The Giants have a lot of cooks in their personnel kitchen, and maybe they feel that you know their their fixes are internal. And Gettleman obviously is going to be a lot better as like kind of a front facing media voice than Jerry was. But I feel like a head coach, you, you got to do something different, and you can't be scared because look, I think it's very good. like I, I wrote this. Mike Smith basically almost his resume in Atlanta almost is a carbon copy of what Tom Coughlin's was in Jacksonville. Uh, had success, got to the conference title games, just didn't knock the door down and get to the Super Bowl, kind of went bad at the end. But I feel like he's a guy who could come in. He's not going to inspire anyone. I think they've got to be careful. But I do think that the most likely scenario is to kind of half measure it with the GM job, hire a guy like Gettleman. And I kind of think that that is more realistic because, I mean, as we said, there's only so many things you can do between now and the end of the season on the GM front. Maybe they think it's going to be Gettleman, but then you got to go out there and I think get a coach with some new, fresh ideas. And don't be afraid to hire a young guy who's inexperienced just because, you know, look, I, I think there's an argument to be made that if, if so many things hadn't gone wrong, maybe Ben would have been able to adjust and gotten himself to year three. But it just he couldn't he couldn't evolve. And it just got so out of hand here that it was untenable. Let me just add one thought just to go back to kind of tie my point and James together. I don't think they're going to do that Patriots package deal just for the record. I, I definitely because James made the point. I can't see marriage is kind of conceding like pretty much all of the power to, to two outsiders. Because, again, if you bring Casario in, it's because they're going to look around the room and say, what the hell is Chris Mary even doing here? Is he going to look and say, yeah, Mark Ross, thanks for your service. But I got a guy, you know, who's been working on me in New England. Like I that's the funny part, as James said earlier, Mara said wholesale changes, wholesale changes, wholesale changes. And then I said, I asked him a question, something like, you know, does that mean you'd be open to overhauling the front office? And he was like, whoa, 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 I didn't say that. You know what I mean? He was like, well, what are the wholesale changes that I mean, of course, if you fire a coach, presumably you're going to go outside the staff. So that'll be wholesale. I mean, again, I, I think they need to just do away with the grandfathering some coaches in too, like Tom Quinn. Thanks for your service. Mike Sullivan. Thanks for your service. You got to let the new coach, you know, hire his own staff. If he has some relationship with the guy and wants to keep him, you know, that's fine. Um, but no, no more kind of foisting uh, assistance onto whoever the new head coach is. But I really don't think there's going to be quote unquote wholesale changes because they're not going to just dismantle their front office. So that makes me much more inclined to believe it'll be a guy like Gettleman who can kind of just seamlessly slide in. But then what have you really accomplished? I mean, listen, maybe Gettleman is just a superior leader and talent evaluator, but still all the people who are gathering the information and making a lot of decisions beneath him would be the exact same guy. So it was Jerry that bad at his job. I don't believe that he was that, just getting rid of him is going to solve all the problems. So uh, I think that's the direction they ultimately will go, especially with the fact that, you know, Mary, you know, intimated that there could be a, a higher, you know, before the, end of the season. Well, that, you know, as James said, there's only a few guys that fit in that box because it has to be someone who's unemployed right now. So uh, the signs, early signs to me point to a guy like Gettleman. That way they basically keep the front office pretty much intact. I mean, maybe they make a change, you know, to another position like a Mark Ross. I don't know. Uh, but I would think for the most part, you just kind of keep things the status quo there. And again, it just goes back to the whole half measures idea. I don't think that's the way to go. The The Giants way is kind of broken. It hasn't worked for a few years now. Uh, I think it's time to shake things up. To, to, I, I, go ahead, James. I was going to say, 
the one thing that I, I do wonder about Gettleman is a couple things. One, and I wrote this. I I think one of the issues the Giants had was that Jerry Reese, for whatever reason, seemed to value picking you know cornerbacks and wide receivers in skill position. Dave Gettleman would bring back Giant football. I mean, this is a guy who builds teams from the lines out, and I think that's what the Giants need to do. I think it's funny. McAdoo uh, a couple weeks ago said something about you know we got to get back to our identity as the Giants or something of that sort. He's right. I mean, he's gone now, but he's right. They need to get back to having an offensive line that can punch you in the face. A bunch of pass rushers coming at a quarterback, power football. I mean, so the, this whole idea of like, oh, Eli, you know, this and that. And, you know, people saying, well, if Eli had a, had a big offensive line in front of him, he'd be fine. And people like, well, you know, that's I mean, maybe that 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 is the way the Giants have traditionally had success is they played a certain style and they got away from it. And I think Gettleman would bring them back to that style. I think the other thing to remember about Gettleman is he's a guy who came into the Carolina and kept a coach that wasn't his and worked pretty well with him. I mean, him and Ron Rivera went to a Super Bowl. So I think that gives the Giants some flexibility. One last thing I forgot to mention, uh, Dave Tobe is the chief special teams coordinator is a guy who I think really intrigues me. He's pretty young, 55, uh, has had a whole, you know, eclectic resume, done all kinds of different coaching positions. I think he was a strength coach at one point uh, from Westchester County. So he's probably a guy who maybe grew up a Giants fan is coming home. He was in college and then with Andy Reid tree with Steve Spagnuolo. And I think that that kind of brings two things. One, it might make John Mara feel good that if, if he comes in, I think there's probably a good chance that he would want to keep Spags as a defensive coordinator. But I kind of get to – if that's something that's a major factor, like, oh, well, this guy's going to keep Spags. So that's good in his book. Then – you might as well just hire Spags, and I think we all agree that that's really not something they can do. So that's another guy I'm going to be intrigued to see, just because he's got this pre-existing condition, uh, pre-existing condition, pre-existing relationship with Spagnol. Haven't had a lot of sleep, guys, in the past. No, it's, a, it's a Spags condition. When you want to hire Spags, yeah. it's, it's a condition. And I all just right. wonder <laughs> if if that's something that's going to appeal to the Giants. Then I think Dan is right, and they're just kind of doing this like you know same old same old search again. So I think he's a guy to watch, just because I think he's a a, a tremendously interesting candidate who could have a lot of success here, but if the the if like the tiebreaker becomes oh well he'll keep Spags, then I think the Giants are not going down the right road. I'll, I'll end with this, and there's obviously we're going to talk a lot about this over the next month or so, or maybe month and a half, two months, whenever it is they have a head coach. But just to wrap it up with the, what Mara said and you guys said about him having a big hand, both he and Steve Tisch, in picking the coach, not just the GM. Maybe it's time to. Not do that as much. I'm looking right now, guys, at a list of Giants head coaches since Bill Parcells. And uh, I know John Mara hasn't been in total power the whole time. Obviously, his father, Wellington, was still alive and, and made a lot of these decisions before him. But if that's the Giants' way, four of the last five have been anything but home runs. Ray Handley, a disaster. Dan Reeves was okay. Obviously, had a name with from his time in Denver. Uh, Jim Fossil was okay. They got to the Super Bowl the one year. Coughlin, home run. McAdoo, a disaster. Like, maybe that way doesn't work. Maybe they should let the GM say, hey, guys. I think this guy should be the coach. Maybe that would be a better way. We'll see, though. There's a lot There's a lot to unpack here. And the Giants, well, they, like I always say every week, there's still a season. There's still a lot of season to play. Still a quarter of the season left. It's the Cowboys on Sunday. Eli's likely back in. You guys will be there, and we'll catch up next week. James, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, goodness knows we'll have something new to talk about next week. Never a dull moment with this team. Eli's going to throw for five touchdowns. They're going to re-sign him. All right, guys, everyone, have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back next week right here on NJ.com.